Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into Persuasion chapters 19 through 21. Yes, I would say this is maybe... mm, I I don't think this is the best part of the book. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um... It's not bad. It's just like a lot of explanation and stuff just kind of all crammed into one like chapter (laughs) yeah i was thinking because it does seem like kind of like i don't know it just seems like almost like plateau in this part of the book it doesn't seem to kind of be building and i do wonder considering that she didn't really have the amount of time that she had for other books to go back and edit how she maybe she would have restructured this part yeah, um, it does just feel because, a little rushed. <laughs> yeah, it just this part, because it kind of, yeah, like you said, crams explanations of things and tries to maybe, like, re- kind of reroute us to, like, an explanation of something from the beginning. or But it's still enjoyable nonetheless, but I totally yeah. kind of got that feeling. Yeah, I like it. It's just, like, there's the whole Mrs. Smith section, which we'll get yes. into. And I do like her, but it's, like, she's so out of nowhere and has so much to say and it's like yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) well yeah when i was reading it because i read it again last night i was thinking of in our last episode how Kristen wanted us to kind of like she wanted our our maybe our ideas or opinions of what mrs smith is supposed to kind of be right for the story and i kind of was the whole time i was rereading it i was thinking like trying to find a way to figure out like what purpose does she serve and i have my own opinions but i think maybe it just it feels rushed because she was kind of just thrown in the minute she got to bath they're like oh by the way her friend's here yeah and there's like not a gradual like oh like we know this person sort of yeah it's almost like it feels like it was intended to like draw out the whole anna wentworth stuff but then it was just like well we're just I mean, that's the the last section, I guess, but... Yeah. It's kind of nice to have this whole Mr. Elliot thing, but <laughs> the reveal of his yeah. nefariousness is just... Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't know, but we'll see. Maybe it will have an explanation as to why I think he's a murderer. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's possibly the most villainous character on all of her novels. Yeah, but we never actually see him be villainous. We just hear about no. it secondhand. Yeah, yeah. That's... But I guess, do we ever see anyone? I mean, Willoughby, I guess. Um, I was going to say, Willoughby is probably our most like blatant evil person <laughs> who doesn't yeah. seem to be good at hiding. Um, uh, what's his name? Wickham. We still mostly... Well, no, we see him <laughs> do some yeah. various things. I forgot about Lydia. But... Yeah. I just... I wonder if it's more so like... I don't know. I I would have liked to have maybe seen since he seems so kind of cunning and like subdued with, you know, his social climbing and doing all these kind of behind the scenes bad things. And also seeing how Anne is so perceptive of people and she kind of had a loose idea of who he was. I would have maybe instead of having this like Mrs. Smith reveal, maybe seen, maybe have Anne use those perceptive skills to kind of figure it out for herself yeah that would have been really nice but yeah. you know i guess we just wanted to get to the end <laughs> 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 but like we've kept them apart long enough let's just 
let's just wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will say the it's not going to be in this section, but the last section, I really, I don't know. It It's weird to go from this section to the next section because this section felt, like I said, like so like almost flatlining. And then the next section, I feel like jumps way to the top. Yeah. And it's so like <laughs> romantic and it's just crazy. And yeah. I just, I really am so glad that we read this book. I really love it. Yeah. You know, I guess it's maybe better to talk about at the end, but like, I Mm -hmm. love Jane Austen's endings. And even though this one doesn't have the like, it's not as humorous of a wrap up as they normally are. It's still like packs a big punch. So (laughs) yeah, I have my thoughts on the ending too, but we'll have to do that next episode yeah <laughs> but you told me earlier today that you had a persuasion dream last night and i'm dying to hear about <laughs> it <laughs> uh so to make a, a long story short before i get to the dream i had been prescribed recently uh maybe like a month or so ago some new antidepressants and my psychiatrist had told me beforehand that it may have an effect on my dreams and <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and say may was an understatement because every single night I have had the most vivid dreams. <laughs> they might as well, if I could remember all of them, it, I could have re- written maybe two months worth of novels because <laughs> they are so complex and so like there's a narrative. It's crazy. But so, of course, I'm rereading last night and I am finding that if I think about certain things or if I'm doing something or watching a show before I go to bed, some of the details will kind of infiltrate my dreams. Yeah. And so in this dream, I start kind of like in the middle of maybe the book. And I am, I guess, the Anne Elliot of this dream. And <laughs> I am. Of course. <laughs> of course. I am no longer with my partner. And I, for some reason, I, and I said, told you it was more of a modern telling of the story <laughs> because I am in another relationship with someone that I think we both know. That sounds insane that I'm in a relationship with them. It is, it was crazy. So I'm in this, but I, you know, I'm regretting, you know, ending things in our last relationship. And it's very much that like self-persuasion of, uh, I can't go back, but do I go back? And that back and forth. And it is crazy. And somehow this dream also decided to include Nicki Minaj as my... (laughs) confidant and my friend perfect (laughs) she is my i guess you could say i don't know harville or bennick or a (laughs) mixture of all these people and i just go through this whole story i did not get to the ending of my dream however because i was really awoken by my dog but Uh, i would like to have think (laughs) i would like to have think that the ending would have wrapped the same way as persuasion but it was just so crazy (laughs) the fact that i you know finished rereading the book and the minute i go to sleep my dreams are like you're gonna live this book (laughs) i want some persuasion dreams i never remember my dreams so (laughs) it was very very ann elliott it was crazy i was like i don't like this dream (laughs) this makes me feel weird (laughs) well put you in the right mood for (laughs) recording two podcasts today (laughs) <laughs> it did kind of make me excited i was like ah, i have something else to talk about now and it's put me more in that mindset yeah 
Um, bird update. They did build a nest. It's the cutest little hobbit hole of a nest. It's right by the window. Unfortunately, I have not seen them since it got built. So I don't know if they built multiple nests and this was just like their backup home or if um, they were just decided... Hey, we don't really want to live in a glass enclosure where a strange human is walking around us all day long. (laughs) (laughs) A giant is stomping around. (laughs) Because I could see them see me every once in a while when I'd walk down the hall and, like, freeze. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, she can't see us if we don't move. I wonder Uh, if it's, like, a species of bird that does, like, a decoy nest, maybe. I don't know because, yeah, I know some birds do have multiple nests. It was definitely a pair of them, so they're, I guess, just looking for the best place to make some babies, but maybe they're making some other nests around and deciding which one they like the best. (laughs) It's so cute that it has, like, moss on it. It's a little circular Ah. uh, enclosed nest. It's very cute. Oh, that is so cute. You should, um... You should take a picture of it and post it to the Instagram when this episode comes out. <laughs> I should, but it'll be like two months. <laughs> I'm sure we'll never remember. <laughs> nope. Uh, but it seems but, like the Arboretum would be, not the Arboretum, the Atrium would be the perfect spot to have a protected nest. I agree. I mean, if they can just get over their fear of me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe put up some privacy blinds to give them a little bit of privacy. Well, I am going to be gone for a week, so maybe when I come back, they'll have moved properly in. That's true. Maybe you'll come back to little chicks. Oh. <laughs> little baby birds. That'd be so cute. Should we go ahead and start on the notes then? Let's do it. All right. So for notes today, I kind of wanted to talk about the book and this idea of how kind of how it brought maybe newer, more modern ideas for the time forth and kind of how it was viewed as a radical almost interpretation of society at the time. I like it. So I think our first kind of instance of this kind of radicalness of persuasion being put forth is the fact that her her main character is i guess of a quote-unquote spinster age for the time of was she like 20 so depressing in the modern age (laughs) for someone like me (laughs) and so i was like i have to do like quotes because reading how like reading some stuff about how maybe the ideas were a little bit more radical for its time was like really depressing considering (laughs) how it's not radical for today. (laughs) But this is technically the first of Jane Austen's novels to feature a woman, as they said, past her first bloom of youth, quote unquote. The bloom. Um, (laughs) Yeah, here comes the bloom again. Um, As a central character for the novel. So we're getting kind of a main character who is of a certain age and single, which is already kind of radical. And it almost is like she's not in a way obsessed with marriage as maybe some of her other heroines have been. Right. um, Or obsessed with like society and flirting and doing all this stuff. She's kind of really removed from that whole thing, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Well, it's not really necessary, I wouldn't think, for her. Right. Or Elizabeth, because, well, I mean, 
they are kind of broke, but <laughs> I imagine right. they have some like money entailed to them from their mother and from, you know, just oh, yeah. being children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or the, the dowry, you know, or whatever, that money is yeah. all set aside. But it isn't, it isn't pretty noticeable that from the beginning that the fact that she's so kind of separate from the normal ideals of a society at that time is kind of like apparent and she's yeah. quieter and she's not as like, you know, I would say I always think of like Catherine uh, Moreland, how she's so adventurous and so like <laughs> bright eyed and bushy tailed about the world. and Right. She's just I wonder so when we get to Mansfield Park, what kind of stuff we'll learn about Fanny, Fanny as a heroine. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure she's not I, very normal. <laughs> no, that's that's what I've read so far about Mansfield Park. I've kind of come across some other stuff that where they've kind of maybe compared the two with persuasion, and I'm really interested to see how Fanny is portrayed in the book because mm-hmm. we've only seen one adaptation. Yeah, and that and was, was kind exactly of exactly accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean it had the spirit of the thing, but. <laughs> Right. I also came across this interesting quote from an Austin biographer named Claire Tomalin, I think. I've heard that name before. Yeah, she's probably done a bunch of other, like, she's probably mentioned in a lot of Austin articles and probably some stuff on Jasna. But after kind of like going into how different it was to have a character like Anne, who is older and unmarried and kind of uninterested with society... She has this quote where persuasion is kind of viewed as Austin's present to herself, to Miss Sharp, to Cassandra, and to Martha Lord, and to all women who had lost their chance in life and would never enjoy a second spring. <laughs> so I wonder, it kind of, it's kind of like a very, to me, kind of glib kind of look at the book. Yeah. But I kind of understand where she's coming from in that. It feels like we've said it in previous episodes how the book seems very self-reflective of, of Austin's feelings at the time. And she was also unmarried and quote-unquote past her first bloom. Yeah, I would have really liked, I mean, you know, obviously it would have been nice to get more Jane Austen novels, but I would have loved to seen what she wrote as an older, as she got older. Because I, I imagine like a lot of the earlier novels were written when she was still in her teens or at least started then yeah. and this one even though it is about an older character it's still a 27 year old character and she was like in her right. 40s when she was writing it so i'm sure that definitely gives it a different perspective as well yeah i i also would have loved to have seen maybe a a character in a novel that maybe austin would have written maybe in her like maybe her 60s or so of like a Lady Denim as the main character yes. <laughs> or a Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Yeah. But we get to see like their journeys and their arcs fully completed and it would just been, yeah. been very interesting. Yeah, definitely. That would be really cool. And then so another part of this kind of radicalness of this book was kind of how books were viewed uh, during eight, late 18th century by society and how they were concerned of the power of books over women. And <laughs> how women were Some more susceptible to the power. <laughs> exactly. Except for now it's children instead of women. <laughs> right. There's always got to be someone who's susceptible to the power of reading more so than men. And was it a malign influence on women? 
And okay. too bad you can't hear me rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this reading this whole thing was just like a what a what a sad part of time to live in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like awful, awful time. But they go on to say that um Austin kind of first addressed this question in Northanger Abbey, where reading gothic books kind of has like this comedic effect on Catherine where she's kind of like yeah. She is almost like, in a way, kind of radicalized by the reading, but it's such in a dramatic way that she's totally making fun of that notion. I don't know how yeah. ridiculous it is. And it doesn't like, I mean, it just makes her make a couple wrong assumptions. It doesn't like make her crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in a way, it kind of gives Catherine a chance to mature and start to understand people better through yeah. that dramatic kind of reaction. So it's almost like in a way she's poking fun, but saying also that reading is obviously good <laughs> for people. But also they say that she returns to this theme of reading and persuasion and how she's more concerned with what it feels like to be a reader and does so by connecting this feeling to what the presence of other people feel like and that it explores the influence reading can have on one's mind by comparing it to the influence of one person's mind over another's. Hmm. So like uh, the talking of books with Benick and all that kind of stuff. Right. It was just, yeah, it was really, really interesting and in how even from like an early age, she was like, this is a ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous <laughs> thing to even write. <laughs> I think I just finish off the viewpoint of the of books and how they viewed him at the time they kind of finish off this whole thing by saying that austin seems to suggest that reading books is insufficient consolation for a woman's pain but also unavoidable if one wishes for comfort Aww. so i just like that <laughs> quote and they're um, not good enough but at least they're something <laughs> <laughs> right they're not gonna fix you but they will make you feel better a little bit. <laughs> oh, and Anne knows the power of that exactly <laughs> reciting autumnal poetry to herself <laughs> <laughs> while playing the piano <laughs> chapter 19 so the last thing was um and hadn't left for Bath yet, but she was staying with Lady Russell. And I think the Crofts came to visit. Mm -hmm. So, chapter 19. So it turns out that the Admiral was wishing to get Wentworth to Bath. Or as he was wishing, because that was like the last <laughs> thing we heard. He was like, we need to get Frederick to Bath. But lo and behold, he was already on his way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anne, Elizabeth, Mrs. Clay, and Mr. Elliot... We're out on the town when it started to rain. Mrs. Clay and Anne try to out-martyr each other <laughs> to see who gets to walk home in the rain. <laughs> it, was just, it was just like, Mrs. Clay, let Anne do it. Just let her do it. <laughs> I know. I don't know if it's more about trying to let everyone else be more comfortable or if it's more about walking with Mr. Elliot. For Mrs. Clay, it's probably Mr. Elliot. Yeah. That, that reveal. Although they have an interesting something going on that i don't think we really fully figure out in the course of the book no 
we don't figure it out until like the last section that's another thing that was kind of like a big reveal yeah um that we can talk about next episode but looking back rereading it it's like oh that's why she was trying to be this like (laughs) no i'll walk with mr elliot don't worry yeah (laughs) mr elliot of course decides he'd rather walk with anne and i thought it was kind of funny that elizabeth never volunteers to walk with mr elliot I was like, no. she, I guess she just would never walk in the rain. <laughs> it's not she has some pretty confidence. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's that. And um, I think one of the annotations in my book, at some point during like a part where um, they had been talking about like Mrs. Clay possibly marrying Sir Walter, how Elizabeth kind of wanted to remain almost like the apple of her father's eye and kind of like his closest confidant in a way to kind of have that mistress of the household duties still. She really wanted to maintain that status. And so I can totally see her being like, I'll just go wherever my father goes. Yeah. And it doesn't actually, in a lot of the adaptations, it seems like Elizabeth understands that Mr. Elliot is paying all this attention to Anne, but... It almost right. feels like she has such confidence in herself and thinks so little of Anne that she never once even goes there in her head. At least yeah, in the I mean, book, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> um, because she, I think at one point she literally had said to Mrs. Clay that she doesn't even consider Anne. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's nothing to me. And I was like, oh, all right. I guess she really does not care about her sister. No. Okay, so as they're arranging for the carriage... Mr. Elliot has to step out to do a favor for Mrs. Clay. And Anne sees Wentworth strolling down the street. <laughs> Ruh-roh. And she has one of her typical tuning everything else in the room out for a moment <laughs> because she's so overwhelmed with emotion. And then she gets a very strong desire to walk to the door and see how the rain was coming along. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I said, my favorite parts of this book are the real-life moments of discomposure you feel when put into these confusing, heart-affected situations. Yes, whenever (laughs) she has one of these kind of moments, I always picture that dance scene from Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 adaptation. (laughs) And I I hope that in these new Persuasion ones, they kind of use that model where everything is just, everyone's gone except for these two people. I feel like it's so effective. You should, I mean, I feel like it's written into the book because she's constantly yeah. having these moments where it's like, I couldn't hear anyone else. And suddenly all I wanted to do was look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Only two people existed on the planet. <laughs> and just as she's heading towards the window to look out, Frederick comes in and sees her. And <laughs> she can tell that he feels like she did just a scarce few moments ago when she first saw him. So sleuth mm-hmm. Anne, he's <laughs> he obviously was not expecting to see her, but no. I I mean he's not upset. He's definitely embarrassed, and she actually has this moment where she's like, "For once, I feel more composed than I imagine he does," <laughs> because she at least <laughs> had a second to compose herself. Right. And so they both kind of, you know come to terms with the fact that they're looking and talking to each other and have a little chat. Neither of them is prepared and it's way awkward even compared to like their interactions at Uppercross. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth and Wentworth make eye contact and they both seemingly recognize each other but Elizabeth turns away and pretends not to know him. <laughs> so bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> 
the carriage comes and the other ladies leave finally. And Anne explains to Frederick that she's walking. And he's like, what? Use my umbrella at least. (laughs) (laughs) She is just telling him that she's actually walking with Mr. Elliot when Mr. Elliot walks in. And of course, Frederick recognizes him as the man from Lyme. And right. or the man who thought Anne was hot, <laughs> as I wrote in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the man who checked you out. <laughs> Mr. Elliot just comes in and bustles Anne out the door, and all of the ladies around Wentworth start gossiping about what a great couple Anne and Mr. Elliot are. And <laughs> the ladies also whisper that they think Anne is prettier than Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> I was the whole time that part was happening. I was like, can someone mention it to Elizabeth? (laughs) I want to see her reaction. Well, I'm wondering, is that why Elizabeth doesn't like Anne all this time? She always been a little jealous and thought Anne was prettier than her. I I mean, obviously she thinks of herself as the bee's knees, but. (laughs) Right. I think Elizabeth has been threatened by Anne, has felt threatened by Anne in a way because, you know, Anne is good looking, but she's also smart and she has all these other qualities that Elizabeth doesn't seem to care to have, but knows yeah. that people value it. Yeah. So on the way home, as she's walking with Mr. Elliot, she's like, I really wish you would stop talking because I can't listen to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, don't you know what I just went through? <laughs> She hoped to be wise and reasonable in time. But alas, alas, she must confess to herself she was not wise yet. (laughs) (laughs) Extra extra exclamation points. Yes. Uh, She really wants to know what's up with Frederick. How long is he here for? Did Louisa break his heart? Also, she's kind of dreading Lady Russell running into him still. Of course, she's with Lady Russell the next morning when they do see him. (laughs) Anne doesn't like point him out but she sees Lady Russell stare intently at him for a few minutes but when she's done she declares that she was just looking at curtains and Anne is disappointed in her or possibly in herself (laughs) mostly she's just mad that she didn't look to see if Wentworth had seen them (laughs) (laughs) she's like who cares what she thinks (laughs) she was too embarrassed to look at their eye contact <laughs> she's like mm-hmm. they're just so it is possible i suppose that lady russell didn't see him but we know Anne and her ability to figure out what's going on so right, i trust her right. on that one me too so then there's a few boring days where nothing happens and then Anne hears of a concert that they are all attending and she's excited because she thinks wentworth will go because he loves music And she actually has to cancel an evening with Mrs. Smith, who seems very knowing and says, well, tell me everything tomorrow. We may not have very many visits left. And that leaves Anne confused. (laughs) She's like, why? Are you dying? (laughs) That would be my first thought. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So, okay, chapter 20. The gang all goes to a concert. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the Elliots get there first and station themselves in prime real estate then frederick comes in and by this point anna is super embarrassed by her family but it just makes her stronger and more determined to treat him right mm-hmm. and he almost passes right by her when Anne says how do you do 
<laughs> so easy. <laughs> I this whole next scene of the concert, I think is one of my favorite scenes in the entire book just because it's so like I don't know, it's all these like little interactions like the looks and these little like small conversations that make it so like the tension is so tight. Yeah. And I do really like it because Anne is like, she's trying to draw him out. She's like, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass me by. And I I appreciate Mm -hmm. that because it seems like Wentworth is just like, I want to be here. And we know later that it's for Anne, but he's so willing to just walk right by her and not say a word that she has to be like, how do you do? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's another thing that really makes and probably one of my favorite if not my favorite of the heroines is that she's willing to take charge of like the flirting and kind of like you know reeling him back in rather than like well i'm gonna wait and see if what he does like she's just like i'm gonna take the charge and you know who cares yeah so her simple little how do you do opens the door and they start talking (laughs) her father decides to acknowledge him and Elizabeth even bows a little, and this improves Anne's spirits tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is where it says, like, Sir, why Sir Walter feels like, oh, I can acknowledge him. It might be later on. So we'll get to that. Yeah, thanks. So their small talk runs out, and Wentworth starts recounting the accident at Lyme. And this is where I said, how long do you think the Musgroves and Anne referred to it as the accident? <laughs> forever (laughs) he brings up louisa and binnick he thinks they have everything going for them including parental support (laughs) he seems to think of louisa as a naive girl and wonders how binnick could have gotten over the great love of his life so soon he says a man does not recover from such a devotion of the heart to such a woman he ought not he does not And Anne felt a hundred things in that moment and keeps the conversation (laughs) going, even though so. (laughs) (laughs) A true class act. Yeah. She can be overwhelmed and still keep on talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, During this part, I also thought that the title of the book could have also been just simply eavesdropping because I feel like there's a (laughs) lot of like unmentioned possible eavesdropping that later kind of explains itself like this part kind of references back almost to like when she talked to Benick about like poetry and about his loss and yeah my annotations in my book are also like saying like it suggests almost that maybe he was eavesdropping on their conversation oh well there's definitely a lot of eavesdropping going on in this book yes i love it that reminds me i was also thinking the other day since they were both this and Northanger Abbey were published posthumously together that, and they were both basically named by Henry. I was like, they should have named Northanger Abbey perceptions and this one persuasion or like perception and persuasion. (laughs) Oh, that would have been so good. (laughs) Or like do like how they do for box sets sometimes where they'll have like a title for just the entire box. And then each Uh novel has its own (laughs) perceptions and persuasions. (laughs) (laughs) okay so she asks about his time in Lyme after she left and he says that he blamed himself for louise's accident so he stayed until he was sure she would be okay 
And Anne says that she wishes she could go back and see more of Lyme, despite the original circumstances. And she's like, you know, I've traveled so little that every fresh place is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And then she gets pulled into greeting Lady Dalrymple because her family's like, get over here and talk to this lady. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta talk to this boring lady. And when she returns, Wentworth is gone into the concert. And as she goes into herself, she's thinking, she's thinking over their conversation, analyzing his subject matter, his little expressions and such, and determines <laughs> that he must love her. You go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) She is so good at those perceptions. (laughs) She's like, well, I mean, we had a good conversation, so I guess he does still love me. (laughs) It's the first time she's ever really admitted that that could be a possibility to herself. But she can't find him when she walks in and the music is starting, so she's forced to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Elliot, of course, managed to snag the seat next to her. And I said, I guess Elizabeth is so distracted by being popular. (laughs) (laughs) She's so distracted by Lady Dalrymple. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a whole like other couple called the Wallaces, which I don't think I've barely mentioned in the recap. There might be a point where I'm like, okay, now I have to explain who these people are because I never (laughs) talked about them in the recap. But I think it's like Mr. Elliot's close friend because it's also where Mrs. Smith gets a lot of her information. Anyway. Yeah. They're there. The Wallaces are there too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so at the end of the first act, Mr. Elliot asks Anne to translate some Italian, which she does very modestly. And he flatters her. He says that she's one who is too modest for the world in general to be aware of half her accomplishments and too highly accomplished for modesty to be natural in in any other woman. And she gets (laughs) embarrassed by all the flattery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't make me blush well the, fact, <laughs> well the fact that she he was like can you translate this for me and she does it perfectly and she's like i'm not an italian proficient <laughs> yeah. and he's like yeah you just did it perfectly i mean how could you not fall in love with Anne? <laughs> <sighs> she's the best he then says that he's known how great she was for a very long time but he won't spill who told him so hmm. just that it was someone she knew intimately he says, the name of Anne Elliot has long had an interesting sound to me. Very long has it possessed a charm over my fancy. And if I dared, I would breathe my wishes to the name might never change. No, breathe my wishes yuck. that the name might never change. Yeah. Yuck, 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 yuck. Well, I mean, it's kind of romantic. I think it's, it, if we didn't know, it is like at this point where we don't really know anything about Mr. Elliot, it's like, yeah, I can go for that. <laughs> I mean, all you have to do is compliment me and I'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) I I will say not knowing at this point what was going to happen, I still kind of felt just like a little tinge of eye rolliness just because she was kind of like, she's not super into him and she's kind of re kind of falling for Captain Wentworth. And I was like, Mr. Elliot, just go sit somewhere else. Yeah, I guess it is kind of like a backhanded proposal in a way or like declaring of intentions in a certain way because she does start to go maybe i should not talk to him anymore (laughs) (laughs) well it's like she's never really flirted back with him and that's something i've kind of picked up on was like she's not flirting back with you and for you to be like so forward as to be like 
you know, I don't want that uh, the name to ever change, obviously implying that you want to marry her. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, sometimes people, mostly men, can um, misinterpret, <laughs> uh, you know, a good conversation for flirting. <laughs> can misinterpret any sort of listening and interest. <laughs> okay, so, oh, then she hears her father talking about Wentworth to Lady Dalrymple. He says that he's a bowing acquaintance. But he and Lady Dalrymple think are talking about how he's a fine-looking man. So that's hmm. good. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's an act break. And Anne conspires with other favorable circumstances to be alone near the end of the bench. And she's keeping an eye out for Wentworth and is determined not to leave the room until she gets to speak to him. <laughs> um, eventually he comes over and he's kind of cold like he was at Uppercross but she manages to soften him up and he's almost ready to sit down next to her when Mr. Elliot taps on her shoulder asking her to translate again and then Wentworth gets all icy and leaves in a huff saying there's nothing worth staying for sir he's such a baby <laughs> <laughs> he is that's one thing though I do kind of like about Wentworth is how almost like insecure he is, which we don't usually get from a lot of men of Jane Austen novels. Uh-huh. So I think that really makes him a super likable and realistic man to the reader. And I think it makes him the best love interest. One of the best. Yeah. It's only because he's so in love with her and so overwhelmed by right. this feeling that she's rejecting him. I mean, they're both having the exact same problem. They're both afraid exactly. that the other person is rejecting them. But... It's still kind of like, come on. <laughs> yes. Why don't you do some dedu- deductions, Wentworth? <laughs> <laughs> it's the old through line through all of Jane Austen's novels where if they had just spoke to each other honestly in the first 10 minutes, we would have wrapped this all up. I know. We always say that. And then I always think of all the millions of examples from my own life where the exact same problems yep. exist today. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it. And this, this might have been where I first was like, all my observations on Anne's deductions were coming together. And I said, Anne could be a criminal profiler. She reads people so well. She immediately deduces yes. that Wentworth is jealous of Mr. Elliot and is trying to figure out how to let him know not to be. <laughs> She's like, trust me. <laughs> She's not going to let Wentworth slip through her fingers again. <laughs> no. She's already determined, he's in love with me. Now I got to make this happen. <laughs> okay so chapter 21 the big reveal (laughs) (laughs) so the next morning Anne is glad that she has a date with mrs smith because her verse her first objective is to avoid mr elliot especially after his you know pointed remarks last night she's very flattered but she knows that now more than ever she can never get over wentworth so it's pointless (laughs) Prettier musings of high-wrought love and eternal constancy could never have passed along the streets of Bath than Anne, than what Anne was sporting with from Camden Place to Westgate Buildings. It was almost enough to spread <laughs> purification and perfume all the way. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just full of happiness. Like, I know things didn't end great last night, but I know he loves me. <laughs> it's a win she'll take it you don't get jealous if you're not in love (laughs) (laughs) mrs smith 
wants to be filled in on all the gossip about the concert. She asks about lots of fancy people, and Anna's like, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, wanted to be Anne in that moment and look at Mrs. Smith and be like, do you think I care about high society? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I was looking around a lot last night, but I only had eyes for one person. <laughs> <laughs> And this is when Mrs. Smith starts asking for a favor from Anne regarding her intended. And Anne is really confused. She's like, how could you even know about Wentworth? And, but it turns out she actually doesn't. She assumes Anne is going to marry Mr. Elliot. She says she knew him back in the day. And Anne says, no, I have no intention of ever marrying him. And Mrs. Smith just thinks she's playing coy. At first, Anne protests that, you know, he's still in mourning for his wife. But Mrs. Smith won't be dissuaded until Anne admits that there is definitely someone else on her mind. And that seems to work. (laughs) And then Anne wants to know where she even got this idea. She's like, and, um, oh, Miss Smith says, well, until two days ago, I didn't. But now everyone thinks so. (laughs) And so then Anne wants to know how Mrs. Smith knows Mr. Elliot. And she says that she knew him before he got married. Uh, Mrs. Smith is very reluctant to say anything, though. And they sit in silence for a few minutes. (laughs) And then Mrs. Smith starts. And she basically unleashes on him. (laughs) (laughs) She's thought about it. She's like, okay, I guess I'll tell you the truth. (laughs) She wants Anne to be aware just in case she should think about marrying him later. (laughs) She says, okay, this is a very long quote, but I had to put it. Mr. Elliot is a man without heart or conscience, a designing, wary, cold-blooded being who thinks only of himself, whom for his own interest or ease would be guilty of any cruelty or any treachery that could be perpetrated without risk of his general character. I guess that means not murder, but I don't know. (laughs) He has no feelings for others. Those whom he has been the chief cause of leading into ruin, he can neglect and desert without the smallest compunction. He is totally beyond the reach of any sentiment of justice or compassion. Oh, he is black at heart, hollow and black. (laughs) (laughs) I read that and I was like, whoa. I know. I don't even think I said it with nearly as much passion as she did, but I have to wrap my brain around the words. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Smith is very, she is a very dramatic person and I need the actress, whoever plays her in these adaptations to be very (laughs) expressive and very (laughs) melodramatic. Especially this speech because she goes from being like, Oh, you're marrying him? That's so nice. Can you help me when you get married? To being like, he's the worst person that ever lived. (laughs) He's pure evil. Well, shouldn't you have been telling me that instead of encouraging me to get married to him? Exactly. This (laughs) part, um, that's why I kind of like, this part made me wish that we did get maybe more of Mrs. Smith in the book beforehand because with her being so kind of rushed in almost, I kind of think that Austin maybe in the end wanted us to kind of like Mrs. Smith and just kind of like sympathize with her situation. And that's why she was kind of leading Anne on a little bit to marry him. But to go from like literally like one page to the next where you're like, 
aren't you gonna marry him to he's the most evil person on this planet <laughs> you're like yeah. why were you gonna let her do that yeah i think we should have at the beginning we were learning about Anne and her being shipped off to school we should have learned about mrs smith being someone or whatever her name was then being someone who helped Anne in like their right. friendship or maybe seen some exchange of letters between them something that I mean, because she just comes out of nowhere and it's like, well, <laughs> thank you for wrapping up this blog for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same. Something like maybe, you know, we get a little bit of school and that they move away. And even when she has like, and she's married and she's like, you know, more wealthy, maybe even them just exchanging letters yeah. saying just like updates throughout the book and then we get an update that her husband has died and she has no money but she won't reveal why yeah. I, um, in a way it's more realistic like, like this because like how easy yeah. is it to just stop corresponding with someone who you're not nowhere near <laughs> yes very easy even with fun <laughs> even in the day of letter writing okay so mrs smith calms herself down she starts to tell her tale when she was first married at 19, her husband was besties with Mr. Elliot. He would do anything for him. They let him stay with them. They gave him money. He was like a brother to them. And Anne is very curious because this was around the time of the whole Elizabeth, Mr. Elliot debacle. Right. When they broke ties. Mrs. Smith says she knows all of it. <laughs> Mr. Elliot at the time only cared about making a lot of money through marriage. And frankly, he didn't think the Elliots were rich enough. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. He, I know. He also seems to have talked some smack about Sir Walter and Elizabeth because Mrs. Smith would boast of how her Miss Elliot was very different from the Elliots he was talking about. Right. So Anne puts two and two together and figures out that she was the person who Mr. Elliot had heard about her from. Mrs. Smith goes on about how much contempt he had for the baronetcy at the time and how his only concern what, uh, with his wife was whether he could secure all she was worth before they married. Her dad was a, a grazer, a grazer, and yes. her grandfather was a butcher. So she didn't come from, like, nobility, but... Had a lot of money, and clearly all he cared about was her money. Yeah, I, um, the, the annotations in my book, because uh, I was, like, kind of, like, wondering how this was maybe any different other than, like, status as to marrying, like, a baronet's daughter, or, like, a rich status person daughter. And the book was saying kind of, like, because these people had no status, but they made, they were basically new money because they made a lot of money really fast, mm -hmm. that the rules that they, that they had for, like, when daughters marry and the money they inherit is different than nobility, I guess. Where They, get, they could get more of it. It wasn't, like, entailed away to male heirs and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It, was, it was more so there weren't any rules to prevent Mr. Elliot from basically getting anything he wanted. God, that must have been the worst place to be. A rich girl yes. with no, like, family protection. Yeah, yeah, he definitely killed his wife. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anne isn't really surprised by any of this, only that he seems to have changed so much. Mrs. Smith has proof, though. It makes you wonder how long she's been planning this, like... <laughs> 
you know. Yeah. I guess maybe I feel like from... she's she didn't get a while. Yeah. Probably from at least when Anne got to town and Mr. Elliot started, you know, hanging out with the family again. Right. Or maybe even before that, because she's still... Well, anyway. Okay, so she asked Anne to bring her a box of her husband, Charles Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Another Charles, totally unrelated to any of the other Charleses. I am tired of these Charles. (laughs) Kristen's husband's name is Charles, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember you saying something about that. I think it was last episode. (laughs) she, She was like, so many Charles. I know. So she's got his old letters and finds one that Mr. Elliot sent him before the Smiths were married. It's a very rude letter, especially towards Sir Walter. And Anne is offended for her father, (laughs) which is nice that she's still, even though she realizes how stupid her father is, she still has like that daughterly respect. Like, how dare you talk shit about my father? Only I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Only I can acknowledge his fault. Um, She wants to know why he's suddenly so interested in their family if that's how he feels. But Mrs. Smith has an answer for that too. He is friends with Mr. Wallace, who I put, I don't think he's made it into this recap. He and his wife are usually in the Elliot gang, like at the concert. (laughs) Yes. Mr. Wallace told him that Sir Walter was in town and was hanging around with Mrs. Clay and everyone thought they might marry. So Mr. Elliot had changed his mind about the bar Barony? (laughs) <laughs> the barony i don't know if that's how you're supposed Bar- to say it Bar- baronetcy <laughs> one of those well he had changed his mind about being a baron and he hmm. didn't want sir walter to get married and get a new heir so he sucked hmm. up to the family and determined to stop the union from happening he just happened to luck out when Anne came to town because he really was struck by her at lyme and since ever since she came to bath he's had dual motives Anne, again, isn't too surprised because it all matches with his suspicious solicitation of the family and general trash talk of Mrs. Clay. (laughs) (laughs) So let's say every time Mrs. Smith would stop and be like, I know you have to be shocked. Anne's like, not really. Ah, I kind of... Making all the puzzle pieces fall into place. (laughs) (laughs) This kind of tracks. I do like that Miss... Or Nurse Rook, by the way, is rooting for Mrs. Clay. (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's like people um, shouldn't be single they should get married (laughs) yeah my um i think we're all rooting for miss clay after this speech it's like yeah let's screw (laughs) mr elliot out of his (laughs) inheritance (laughs) yeah my book was saying also that nurse rook may have had like an ulterior motive too for wanting them to get married because she is like a what do they call them uh like a childbirth nurse, almost oh, like a doula. Yeah. And that if they did have a, an, another baby and the Wallaces were connected with them, that she might be able to secure a job with an even richer family. That's interesting. Like the, the Elliots and possibly have more money. Hmm. Yeah. That, that very that's interesting. definitely a possibility. <laughs> Anne is glad that she knows all this so she can treat Mr. Elliot as he is due in the future. <laughs> <laughs> But wait, there's more. Oh, God. Mr. E had encouraged Charles Smith to make a lot of bad investments and to spend beyond his means. And by the time he died, he was in a lot of debt. So Mrs. Smith foolishly named Mr. 
E. I don't I put him as Mr. E, so I've been trying to translate, but it always makes me think of Emma <laughs> to call it mystery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Mrs. Smith uh, foolishly named him the executor of the will, but he won't act to execute it. He has the power to sell off a piece of property, which would settle the debts that she owes or her husband owed and give Mrs. Smith enough money to live off of. But he won't. And she doesn't have enough money to get a lawyer. And this is like Ugh. basically what she wanted Anne's help with initially was to talk to him and get him to move his ass on this will stuff. So <laughs> Anne is very surprised that her friend could have been so encouraging of her marriage at the beginning of this conversation. But Mrs. Smith is like, I didn't think I could say anything if you're already engaged. And I said, that's fucked up. Propriety, my ass. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was thinking this whole time, like, couldn't Anne, of all people, you could have asked her and explained the situation, and she probably would have paid for a lawyer for you. Seriously. Or asked for a favor. As soon as you heard she was getting together with Mr. Elliot, you should have been like, um, girl, I just want to let you know what kind of person he is. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe when I shock you with how awful he is, can you help me? I mean, and she I, I probably would have said yes. Not wanting to get in the middle of someone else's relationship, but like, come on. <laughs> Something as dire as this seems worth it more to kind of maybe break like niceties of that time. Yeah, especially for like an old school friend, you know. I yeah. mean, especially with someone you knew that well, Mister Elliot, and like you know what kind of person he is. Ugh. Right. Anyway. Maybe she's just like, Anne, Anne is too old. She needs a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I I could kind of sympathize a little bit with her situation because she's now dirt poor and she's like really, really ill. So I, I could see her maybe her. becoming desperate. And I mean, you know, she is a woman at that time. So she literally has no power when she's single and no status, really. So yeah, yeah I could sympathize, but still. She should have yes. been a good, a good girl, a good <laughs> if girl. If I had been in either Anne or her hers position, I would think I would have made a different choice, <laughs> or would have wanted her oh, to yes. make a different choice. I agree. So Anne is the, thinks about if the circumstances had been different, Lady Russell might have actually been able to persuade her to marry Mister Elliot, and she shudders to herself. <laughs> <laughs> but as it is, she's very happy that she's free to tell Lady Russell everything she just learned because she wants her to be undeceived by him. Mm. And that is the end of this section. <laughs> Lord, that was a, it was a very crazy chapter, but it was a very lengthy chapter. Yeah, I think because it's just like, we're just, because <laughs> up until this point, we're kind of like, well, Mr. Elliot, maybe, Mr. Wentworth, maybe. Is it like a love triangle? Does now Anne have to choose who she likes better and what kind of life she wants for herself? And it's like, no, he's a horrible person. You want to stay away from him. <laughs> he's a monster. <laughs> you don't get a choice in the matter, just so you know. <laughs> You're still a woman. <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess she had a choice, but really, when that's your choice, it's like... No, I'll go with the guy I love. Thanks. He's got plenty of money. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of money and he's not evil. So, <laughs> And he's like related to the people living at Kellynch Hall right now, which is really all she cares 
you know, the only thing that she likes about Mr. Elliot is that she'd get to move back into Kellynch. Right. But she can just go visit the Crofts <laughs> and pretend. Exactly. She's friends with the people who live there. Yes. I will say one of the annotations at the end of this chapter was like explaining how like, you know, looking back at the beginning of this conversation and if circumstances were different, how tragic the story would have ended if she had married Mr. Elliot at Mrs. Smith's yes. kind of, you know, wanting and how it speaks to the theme of persuasion because Anne at this point has learned not to be persuaded by others' opinions and to trust her own judgment. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yeah, if like Wentworth and Louisa had ended up having to get married or whatever and No. No, thank you. <laughs> Although I would have been happy if Anne was with Benick. That's Yes, do. that's true. She probably would have chosen Benick over Mr. Elliot ultimately. I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to think so. So what was your favorite part? (laughs) Honestly, I think the concert was my favorite part. Yeah. Just like the little like, you know, tiny moments of her saying like, how do you do? Or the looks they had across the room and the tension was so, you know, it was so tight. And I don't know, everything was just so like, I don't know just felt very like almost like butterflies in the stomach and it was just very nice to see her kind of not be this sad withdrawn almost timid kind of person and for her to kind of take the reins and really take charge (laughs) of a situation yeah but she does it in the most timid quiet way possible she's just like (laughs) how do you do and that (laughs) makes everything possible (laughs) yes that had wentworth's mind blown Yeah, I would say probably the concert is my favorite part Mm -hmm. as well. I do like in this last chapter how Mm -hmm. when Mrs. Smith goes on her tirade and she's like, the blackest of hearts, the worst of men. (laughs) (laughs) It was almost like a, uh, I was like, are we watching like the climax of a play? (laughs) And the one thing I really do like about that chapter is that it definitely um, makes my theorizing that Mr. Elliot is a murderer feel more justified. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's a very justifiable feeling because he seems the most evil. Even if he didn't outright like poison or stab his wife to death, I'm pretty sure that like he made her sleep in a cold room with no blankets and... Right. (laughs) I don't know. He probably didn't fetch the best doctor. Stuff like that. Exactly moved her to a castle in scotland and a turret i don't know <laughs> something not conducive to help <laughs> if only Catherine morland was here to see a real murderer paint this lead paint on the walls all day please darling <laughs> <laughs> you have to paint portraits with just these paints don't use anyone else play with this mercury i thought <laughs> <laughs> ready for the deep dive let's do it all right i did it on mrs smith because she's definitely the most interesting character in these chapters that we haven't already done (laughs) right i agree okay so I put, a lot of people have something to say about this section of the book. (laughs) (laughs) 
Presumably, as the book went on, Austin was getting weaker, and presumably, it was more difficult to write. The coincidence of Mrs. Smith knowing everything and being friends with Mr. Elliot and all was not done as deftly as like the opening coincidences of the Crofts letting Kellynch and the end gets tied up a lot more quickly with more loose ends than in a lot of her previous works. Right. And even though she did finish the novel, she never submitted it for publication. So it's definitely possible that she was not entirely satisfied with it at the point it was at. Right. Um, a lot of people think that Mrs. Smith is a tool to compare the two ladies. That Austin may have been trying to make parallels between them. Uh-huh. Which show how she disagreed with conventional social discrimination against the lower classes. And she considers affection to be crucial to marriage and friendship. And that each individual must learn the life lessons of prudence and trust. So that could have been like what the whole point of the relationship was. Uh But the scene also shows the various forms of prejudice and how everyone has them, but understanding happens when you open yourself up to what others have to say and put aside your preconceptions. Hmm. So like, you know, even Mrs. Smith has prejudices. (sighs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also on the subject of coincidence. (laughs) This is my own personal thing. Also on the subject of coincidence. Is anyone in Jane Austen work a murderer oh no if anyone in jane austen's work is a murderer william elliott as the prime spec suspect and his wife's death is the top of my list i think i've made that clear (laughs) yes (laughs) surprisingly though i couldn't find any theories about it although really it's clearly a search on google like if you put in william elliott murderer it comes up (laughs) but there's no like real like theories i could find i mean maybe i'm just not the best internet sleuth (laughs) I feel like that's such a plausible theory, especially with because the Frank Churchill theory is kind of like a almost sort of established conspiracy theory of that, right? Yeah, because that one is so like conveniently timed. But right, I was listening. Oh, my gosh. You know how in the last episode we were talking about that theory and the guy who was on first impressions. Well, I went back and listened to that. And there's a whole theory about. God, I can't even remember. But like. (laughs) <laughs> I think Mr. Woodhouse was possibly uh-huh. the father of like Jane and Frank and like all these people. I was like, uh-huh. okay, I'm gonna have to look into that possibly for a future <laughs> Emma. Right. Know. Yeah. Interesting. These are only speculations. These are not what we necessarily believe Jane Austen was saying, but it's just fun. But no, the- theories can be fun, especially if they're a little outlandish. They can kind of be fun to talk about and explore but like william elliott murdering his wife seems like a no-brainer to me (laughs) (laughs) he obviously didn't care about her he only wanted her money so wouldn't her being dead be the best way for him to get that especially if now he wants to be a baron it's like well i gotta be free to be able to get that right (laughs) yeah especially since it seems like uh, sir walter is probably not gonna die anytime soon yeah he seems fine Okay, so for sorting her, I had either Sagittarius or Libra. (laughs) And I think I was looking up, like, people who can stay in a good mood even when their circumstances are bad or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So Sagittarius, they are the funniest people. They not only make us laugh, but always stay happy and positive. 
They love to take things a bit less seriously in life, which helps them stay positive. And then Libra, if there's a choice, Libras are always going to choose to stay happy. They're great at changing their perception, their perspective. (laughs) They're great at changing their perspective (laughs) when they need to and look for a silver lining of a potentially negative situation. Ooh. I almost feel like Nurse Rook is a Sagittarius and Mrs. Smith is a Libra. (laughs) Yes, I was just about to say, Libra, I think it's that looking for silver lining. Yes. Because that whole bad situation could be Mr. Elliot and Anne getting married and she's like, but I can get my stuff back. So yeah, I like Libra. Okay. And for (laughs) D&D, do you have um, a suggestion? (sighs) I would say, gosh, she's hard because her intentions change from one page to the next so extremely but i'm gonna go off of our kind of initial introduction to her and not like how she ends up so i'm gonna say maybe neutral evil chaotic neutral i said chaotic neutral yeah yeah i don't think evil even though she's not like actively trying to help Anne. (laughs) <laughs> by telling her but um i don't think she's like got a good or bad necessarily motivations but she does seem very chaotic <laughs> like <laughs> she can change her mind very quickly <laughs> yeah that actually makes more sense because i think her her flip from her bad intentions for in a sense for mr elliot and and getting together and then her trying to be like well actually he's evil and i'm helping you now Kind of make her more neutral, and but the chaotic makes sense. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Libra chaotic neutral for Mrs. Smith. Wow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, do we have any final thoughts for this section? <sighs> Or do you want to save it for the next one? I will say, and we can talk about it more next episode with Kristen about maybe like what point Mrs. Smith serves in the novel. But from what I got about just her whole, like the whole revelation we get and how Anne is kind of proven correct in her initial assumptions, it almost to me seems like she is serving a purpose to make us realize that Anne is returning to like the quote-unquote old Anne because I thought back to Mm. when Wentworth first comes back and he is like saying how he doesn't even recognize Anne that she's not the same person and it's Uh you know at the time I think I kind of believed it as him being a little salty and you know kind of being like I don't even know who she is anymore but now it almost seems like because we're kind of led to believe that he's always had feelings for her, that he's like, you know, she's not the same man because she's so like reserved and she seemed so still hurt and she's not like the same, you know, joyful, smart person. Right. And I feel like... I mean, to be fair, he had really only half bowed at her and looked at her when he made that observation of her but But I do I I agree with what you're saying though she probably was a lot different yeah and you can kind of like yeah looking back and then looking at her now where she's willing to kind of speak up for herself and kind of 
really stick to her initial observations about people. I feel like Mrs. Smith kind of, because she's part of Anne's past from before her dissolution of her and Wentworth, I feel like she is trying to, in a way, bring us like back to the old Anne. That is a very good observation. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, definitely. She does, because like, Mm -hmm. like when she's walking over to Mrs. Smith, she's like, yes, walking on clouds. (laughs) And it's like, just she feels like she could just bring happiness with her wherever she went because she's just so happy. Yeah. And I bet that, I mean, yeah, it would have been lovely to be able to see her back before all her hopes were ruined and see what kind of a. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, Mrs. Smith did know her after her mother died. And I'm sure that was like a very hard time for her. But like she says that she was one of the people who helped her the most, you know, when she was alone. And so that is interesting. Like we're kind of almost going back to like 19 year old Anne for a little while. But like with all this perspective. Right. You know, it's almost like we're getting a glimpse of maybe what the beginning of Anne and Wentworth's relationship was like. Where she's got those butterflies and yeah. it's almost like she's first falling in love with him and she's so happy and it's just like almost like that teenage kind of love where it's, everything is just like perfect and, you know, nothing can go wrong. And yeah, it just feels like we're being bought. Maybe we're getting a glimpse of what that was like. Yeah. She came back from school and met Wentworth. Probably nobody paid her attention at home. She could do whatever she wanted. Right. It had a fast love affair i mean you know in the chaste regency right. version of it <laughs> <laughs> maybe some letters and you know that's how crazy maybe it a got. stolen kiss or two but <laughs> <laughs> and then everything got ruined forever <laughs> yes i do also think about like maybe the dichotomy of her being this middle child and how maybe she favored it when she was seeing Wentworth back in the day because she could kind of hide it almost in, but in plain sight from her father and her sister and didn't necessarily have those pressures of having to marry someone or be with someone of high status versus afterwards where she really wants that kind of care and comfort that maybe Mrs. Smith gave her after her mom died and she's not getting it at home. Yeah. She's not even getting it from Lady Russell, so. Yeah. Because even Lady Russell, who she's constantly like, well, at least I have her to listen to me. Even from the very (laughs) beginning, she's like, well, I did talk to Anne, but I didn't actually (laughs) believe what she said, so I didn't fight for her wishes. (laughs) Right. She's not necessarily fully on her side. Yeah. I mean, she, it's kind of like a motherly kind of like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I know you better than you know yourself, but... Really, Anne knows everybody better than... They know themselves. themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's like almost like she's having that moment with Lady Russell that maybe she, like that most, maybe I would say especially daughters have with their mothers where it's like, you know, I'm going to do kind of what I think is right because I kind of have to learn these lessons and go through these tribulations and learn certain things by doing it my way and I can't it's you know it's got to be your life essentially and she has that with Lady Russell yeah uh, rather than her own mom (gasps) I can't wait to get to the final part (laughs) I know I know I'm excited to talk to Chris next episode about this whole Mrs. Smith and see what she says yeah me too (laughs) 
Let's do recommendations. <laughs> are you ready or you want me to go first? Um, I can go first. Okay. So my recommendation is going to be a TV show. And it's a new TV show that has recently come out called Rutherford Falls. Hmm. And it's... I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I, it's on Peacock. So if you have Peacock, it's on there. But it stars Ed Helms and Jana Schmeeding. Sh- I think it's her name. Maybe I did just hear him being interviewed this morning on a podcast. Yeah, I, I think he was on. A, he's on Keep It. <laughs> yeah, but it was a uh, created by Ed Helms and Michael Schur and Sierra Teller Ornelas. But it's about this kind of like a I don't know which area. I'm pretty sure Michael Schur has done most of my favorite sitcoms. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, The Good Place, Parks and Rec. Yeah. All the good stuff. And it's definitely, you know, it's very different than those shows, but it's got such a great, I don't know, it just moves really well throughout the story. It's very comfortable, and the jokes are great, and the characters are really good. And it's just like, you know, this small town, and it kind of deals with this family, like the Rutherfords, who kind of, you know, the town's named after them, and they're like this prominent family who's been in the country for generations, and... You know, and they're also on uh, Minnetonka land, who the other character who's a Minnetonka native is, you know, part of the cultural center and they're friends. But then, you know, things come to a head when, you know, the kind of like the town is kind of coming to or maybe a realization of the history in a way. Uh-huh. And what I really like about it is that it's not overtly like preachy about like, you know, these things are wrong because of this. Like, it's not trying to give you, like, necessarily a textbook history lesson. It does it very smoothly, and the characters are all, are almost going on a real-life realization of certain parts of the town and certain parts of their own history, and it's just really great, and I'm it just is, like, a feel-good comedy. I really love it. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, I think you would like it. It's really good. <laughs> um... Okay, for my recommendation, I'm going to recommend a podcast. I was looking through my podcast list and I was like, which podcasts are my favorites? And I realized I've cut a lot of podcasts out of my life recently Uh because a lot of the ones that just kind of were always at the bottom of the list and I just ran out of time for, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll come back to these later. But one that has definitely stayed on and I listen to every week is Newcomers with Uh Nicole Byer and Lauren Lapkus. They started off watching Star Wars, which they had never seen before, like all the different Star Wars. Wow. And then they did Lord (laughs) of the Rings. It was like forever. They did a million Lord of the Rings things. Yes. But they were, so I think they were getting tired of all this like nerdy stuff. So they were like, let's try a different thing. And so now they're doing Tyler Perry and it's very funny. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked the Star Wars and Lord of I'm the Rings always... ones too, but the Tyler Perry one is especially mm-hmm. funny because they're just enjoying it so right. much. <laughs> I always enjoy seeing when they start a new, like, I guess you could say universe. Their, um, their <laughs> like, podcast icon pictures always change to match. And I just yes. always look forward to when they change just to see, like, what... Because Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer are both, like, one of my favorite comedians. They're so funny. Seriously. Uh, they're two people who, like... If I hear of them doing any, I listen to so many podcasts. They're stars mm-hmm. of like at least four of the podcasts I listen to. So 
And if I like, sometimes I'll watch like Lauren Lapkus and Paul F. Tompkins have been doing these um, once a month improv shows. And anytime I see Nicole Byer on something, I'm like, oh, gotta watch that. Agreed. So the two of them together are just like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. It is. I love it. So newcomers, the podcast is great. All right. Well, let's see. What are we doing next week? Twin Peaks. Seven? I think seven. Seven? Yes. <laughs> season two, episode seven. I keep realizing we'd never mentioned season two, but yes, season two, episode seven. And then the week after that, we'll be wrapping up the book. Uh, bittersweet. Chapters 22 through 24. Yes. I'm excited. And we'll have Kristen back for the wrap up. <laughs> So um, if you would like to get in contact with us. Yes, you could email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You could DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersandmadness.com. Yes. And we do have the donate button on there if you would like to make a donation towards our better sound equipment fund. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we'd really appreciate it. Yes. And I guess that's it for this week. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Good night. Bye. (laughs) It's like the... I'm working... All day at home in this office, and she could care less about me. She's sleeping on the couch, but the minute I get in a Zoom call, she's gotta be on the Zoom call. There's someone else there. They need to know I'm here. <laughs> Let me see them. <laughs>